Hey there, true listeners. This is Kyle from the Longbox Cast, and you're listening to another great Four Ride Radio podcast. For more great shows, check out fourrideradio.com. And while you're at it, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash longboxcast. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 69 and is being recorded on November 11th, 2016. Today's topic, Guinan. I'm Aaron Gallo, and with me today is Eric Dewey. Hey there. Revenge Lover. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. Hey, Eric. Hey, how, how are things going? Uh, not bad. See, the good thing about having someone named Eric on the podcast is that I'm not going to slip up and call them by a different name. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, this podcast wouldn't exist without Eric Dewey. Oh, I, I don't know. You give me a little too much credit for that. I may have <laughs> sparked the idea a little bit, but uh, I, I'd like to claim credit for it. But uh, <laughs> it's, all, it's all you guys who have put in the work in producing your shows uh, over these years. So um, I, can't, I can't claim too much credit on that. Uh, just being modest. We're going to talk about Guinan. Yes. Probably uh, one of the best known Ex, well, she's not really an extra, I guess, just guest host, not guest host. I, I, would, I would classify her as probably a peripheral character, yeah. not the uh, main character per se, but definitely more than an extra. Right, so before we jump into the topic, let's uh, talk about the news a little bit. Anton Yelchin Photography Exhibit, this was held November 5th. Star Trek fans, along with other guests, traveled to the other gallery in Los Angeles, uh, where they were able to explore 40 images from the photographer. So, that would have been amazing to go to. Yeah, uh, we've talked about Anton in the past, obviously, and uh, this is a good tribute to him and for those who didn't know his other interests beyond acting. Yeah, it, it just seems like a very fitting tribute uh, to show off the fact that uh, he did have uh, other interests. He wasn't just check off you know <laughs> he had right. other things going on in his life yeah just another example of, uh, of how sad it is that he was lost so soon mm -hmm. uh, you know he could have uh, just seen a couple of the examples of his work uh, he definitely uh, had a had, had an eye so next up idw publishing announced the upcoming release of acceptable losses a star trek the next generation and aliens crossover comic book series uh, eric are you a fan of comic books i do i uh, yes i am quite a big fan of comic books i um i have not read as many in the recent uh, past as i would like just time constraints and such but i do try to keep up on things from time to time um i will say that crossovers are usually one of my least favorite genres mm -hmm. uh, i sometimes they work but a lot of times it seems way too forced Right. Uh, I I want to give these ones a chance though because I do love the Aliens universe and obviously I love the Star Trek universe especially TNG. So um, I'm definitely willing to to go into it with an open mind and and give it a shot. Um, right. Aliens seems like a uh, a property that could work in a crossover. 
unlike another crossover which came out earlier in the year, the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover. I did not read that. Did you get a chance to? I no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we'll have to find somebody. Anybody out there listening, if you actually read any of those books, I would love to hear from you. Uh, you know, Hit us up on the Facebook or Twitter pages and, and let us know what you thought of those because I would absolutely love to hear from somebody who, uh, who had read those. Uh, whether you liked it or not, I, I want to hear both sides. And finally, with the news here, we have CBS Home Entertainment has announced the release of the Star Trek Enterprise the complete series on Blu-ray, previously only available as a single season sets in the U.S. Uh, the complete series will be available January 10th, 2017. Does it come with a special feature that allows you to uh, imagine that the series finale did not happen? <laughs> uh, well, you can always skip skip it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what I do uh, pretty much when I, if I watch through Enterprise, whether it be on Netflix or whether it be on CBS's streaming application, I don't usually watch that final, final episode. I like to pretend the previous episode was the final. Uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, I'll, I've talked with uh, Eric Berry about this in the past. The episode itself, I don't think is a bad episode. As an individual episode, it wouldn't be. Right. As a sign off the series, it's just bleh. right. What I would like like to see is if someone was able to supercut that episode in with the Pegasus, the um, episode which these other voyages is uh, referencing to. Oh yes. So the uh, episode with uh, the interphasic uh, cloaking device. Yeah, they were stuck in that uh, asteroid or right. whatever it was. And... Good episode. As oh, I, yeah. it would be awesome if someone could, you know, just splice them in how it would make sense. Because in the episode, uh, these are the voyages. Riker is uh, struggling to figure out what he should do with his ex commanding officer. So, I would also like to talk to you, Eric, about Star Trek Discovery. Yes. So, what are your thoughts on the series? I mean, we don't know much right now. We know very, very little so far. We've gotten a little teaser trailer, which uh, looked interesting. Basically, we got to see a bit of the ship, mm-hmm. which um, definitely seems to take its cues from some of the older sketches we've seen from from some ships that uh, almost made it into previous series. Um, so the the ship looks interesting. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. not dogging on the ship at all. But the trailers that we've gotten thus far, you know, just these little tiny teasers, they're not telling us whether or not we're going to get story. They're not going to, you know, we don't know for sure. I don't know if it's been announced. <clears throat> um, I had, I've heard conflicting reports of which timeline this is actually going to be set in. Oh, uh, uh, from what I heard, it is the prime timeline. I think Brian Fuller uh, confirmed that. Okay. I, I had heard that somebody may have confirmed it, but I wasn't 100% sure if it was somebody who uh, would actually be in the know or if it was somebody just making a, an educated guess. But right. So that's, I mean, I would have been fine either way, honestly, because it's like, I, as I just want to know, you know? <laughs> right, right. I just want to know what's going on with, my, with, the, uh, with the franchise I love so much. I, I just want more information. Um, I am excited for it. I'm, I'm excited to have Star Trek back on TV even if it's not going to be uh, 
on TV in the traditional sense that uh, that previous series have been. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with that as well because I don't watch TV in the traditional sense uh, any longer anyway. Right. Um, I don't. Uh, I have an antenna attached to my TV in case I feel like turning on like live news or a live sporting event or something like that. But uh, I do not have cable. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a cord cutter now. I have internet only, so I have uh, Netflix and uh, Hulu and uh, Amazon Prime and um, HBO, the HBO Now. Right. So that's where I get my uh, television content from. And I did recently. Uh, spring, I went ahead and got the the CBS All Access as well, uh, in preparation one for Discovery and also because there are a whole lot of CBS shows that I do watch on a regular basis. So, uh, right, like I'm sure Big Bang Theory must be one of them. <laughs> oh, how I love to hate on Big Bang Theory, but it's <laughs> it's, it's one of those shows that has its funny moments, but mm-hmm. they're drowned out by the sound of what sounds like canned laughter. I know uh, Bill Prady has gone on the Twitter offensive many a time, pointing out that it's not canned laughter. It's actual laughter from the studio audience. That's great and everything. It still sounds like a laugh track. When you're watching at home, it sounds like a laugh track. Even if it's not technically a track, that's what it sounds like. Right. It sounds like you're telling me when I'm supposed to laugh. It's like, no, tell me a joke and I'll laugh if it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's that's how I feel about it. Um and in recent years, it's just gotten—it's gone a little off the rails, I think. But uh, I still watch it occasionally if it happens to be on. I'll, it's not one that I'll immediately turn off out of disgust, but I won't seek it out either. Okay, well that's cool. I'm—I'm uh, I'm kind of waiting to bite the bullet and get CBS All Access. What platform do you use to uh, access uh, CBS All Access? Primarily, I do it on um, my phone. Uh, and on just a just regular browser, because I have okay. uh, our main TV that we watch on a regular basis is in our bedroom because that's where we spend a lot of our time, mm-hmm. and it's, we we literally have a computer attached to the TV. It's not okay. a it's not a Roku box or an Amazon Fire Stick or anything like that. It's an actual Windows based PC. So I just fire up Chrome and go to the CBS website, log in, and, and watch it there. And it comes in good quality. It sounds good. Um, not too many buffering issues every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to blame that on the service. That very well could be my Internet here. Right. As it happens on other things, too. I watch a lot of stuff on the other network websites as well. That's the other thing I do is instead of trying to find one service that has all of these different network shows, if we want to watch something that was on ABC, um, we just go to abc.com and, you know, seven days after it's aired, it's available on the website to watch. I see. Same with NBC has their stuff up. Usually even quicker than that. I think they have it up like two days after it airs. Hmm. Um, CBS is a lot more restrictive if you don't pay for the service because they want people to pay for the service. But once you pay for the service, then you get all the extras. Um, so like just last night, as a matter of fact, I was doing a little bit of research for uh-huh. this episode, rewatching a few episodes of Next Generation nice. to talk to Guinan. And uh, at one point I was watching them on Netflix and then at one point I had I had to get had to do some actual work. I was at work at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, we're, we're allowed to to have something going on in the background because our job is just data entry. Basically, it's very non 
uh, you know, there's no customer interaction, so it's fine. We can, we're allowed to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did have something that I had to focus on. I had turned it off, and then I went, I went back to it. I found that uh, my account was in use by too many people, meaning my wife and daughter were both watching something different, <laughs> different uh-huh. at the same time, and I couldn't get into Netflix. Uh-huh. So uh, luckily I was able to fire up my CBS app and <laughs> pull up the episode I wanted and watch it on the, uh, the CBS app instead. So. Nice. Now I talked. I've talked to Eric Berry about this in the past because he also has uh, CBS All Access, mm-hmm. and he said that the quality of the shows, uh, so the Star Trek uh, Next Gen recordings, aren't uh, the remastered versions like they are on Netflix. I I would uh, would think that seems to be the case. Like I said, I really only did watch the one episode. Okay. On- the CBS app, and it was on my phone, so it's hard to tell mm. dramatically the difference right. uh, when I'm watching on a five and a half inch screen, as opposed to whether or not I'm watching on uh, on the actual TV. I haven't tried watching any of the uh, Star Trek episodes on the CBS app on the uh, on the computer on the CBS website on the computer, mm. so I haven't compared them directly. However, if that's the case, that seems like a, seems like kind of stepping on their own toes there. Right. Unless they have a contract with Netflix that says, okay, since we since we signed on to do these, you get this version, and for X number of years, we can't play that version, only you have it. Which would make sense, because I imagine Netflix, when they are paying CBS a metric ton of money to get access to these shows, probably said, okay, well, I know you're planning on doing your own streaming things. So you're not going to – we have to put something in the contract to, so that we have something to offer – that you're not offering, at least for that contracted amount of time. Right. So I'd be curious to know if there's uh, anybody out there who knows the details of that contract between CBS and Netflix Mm. that could give us some insight on that to see if, because that's my guess. Right. That's my guess is that Netflix, when they bought the rights to to play all of the seasons of all of the Star Treks for X number of however long they have it, that they also had the rights to, you know, okay, we get these remastered versions first, Mm-hmm. Uh, either for X number of days or months or weeks or whatever it may be uh, before CBS is allowed to put those out on their own. But I would imagine at some point in the future, CBS will be offering the the highest quality versions of their own programming. Right. Uh, you, would, and, you would hope. <laughs> right. And, I mean, Netflix and CBS seem to have a pretty decent deal uh, or a relationship with each other since outside of the U.S., uh, Netflix is the home of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, it seems interesting that uh, they they definitely have a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things that it looks like CBS kind of looking at what Netflix has done and said, you know what, this is a damn good idea. We're going right. to do this. We're right. going to make you know charge just a monthly, give access to all this streaming content. And um, <clears throat> what I think you're going to see more and more is less stuff going to Netflix from CBS in the future mm-hmm. so that they can hang on to some of their stuff. Um, either that or Netflix is going to have to pay a lot more. It's going to end up costing Netflix a lot more as they want more. Uh, right, things. but uh, Netflix is doing pretty well with their uh, original series uh, oh, yeah, they- now. So uh, I well, guess... With the Marvel stuff. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, well, I haven't. Um, I'm pretty bad. I haven't been keeping up with that at all. Did you have you seen any of them from uh, Daredevil? <laughs> no. Forward? No. 
I, I highly recommend it. Um, definitely all of the series so far have been fantastic, both. Um, and I would recommend watching them in the order that they came out. Okay. So watch the first season of Daredevil, then watch Jessica Jones, then go back and watch the second season of Daredevil. Um, you know, if you go in order, it makes a little bit more sense because basically they happen in that order. And then um, Luke Cage was, was pretty awesome as well. Uh, I still think Jessica Jones, I think, is my favorite okay. thus far, to be quite honest. Uh, Daredevil was fantastic, don't get me wrong. Um, I'm saying that Jessica Jones was just that much better. <laughs> All right. It was a fantastic series. So if you're only going to watch one, watch Jessica Jones. But if you're going to watch them all, watch them in that order. Do the first season of Daredevil, then Jessica Jones, then Daredevil again, then Luke Cage. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. And we got a Punisher one coming out too, which I'm very much looking forward to because that actor uh, did such a phenomenal job Hmm. with the Punisher character in that second season of Daredevil. So we've gotten a little off track on the uh, the Star Trek (laughs) That's you guys okay. are out there watching Netflix. There's there's other choices too, and That's okay. uh, I recommend them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll uh, veer back on course, and we'll move on to the next uh, section of the show. Would you buy it? Now, before we say what it is, Eric, if you had the opportunity, would you purchase this? Um, just looking at the description that you had posted in the show notes mm-hmm. uh, and the price at the time that you posted. I don't know if that's still uh, legitimate or if the item's still available or not, but for that price, yeah, I would buy it. I think I would too. Uh, And what are we talking about? We're talking about the Star Trek Klingon Replica Mug, an EMP exclusive. Uh, So the uh, link is in the show notes, uh, and at the time of the recording... The price for this is $20. Not not bad at all. In our description here, enjoy your blood wine in authentic style with this replica clean-on drinking mug made from stainless steel with a special discreet engraving for those who are fluent in Klingon. Also included is a recipe card with both alcoholic and non-alcoholic recipes for clean-on blood wine, available exclusively from EMP Museum. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the bigger picture of this, looking at the actual link, and um, it looks very nice. It's very nice, uh, you know, brushed stainless steel mug. It's in the style that we've seen in the shows. Um, I would use it for coffee, honestly. If it were, <laughs> if I had this mug, I would be drinking coffee out of it pretty much regularly. Right. Um, so my question then is, I am not fluent in Klingon. <laughs> Do you know what this uh, what this inscription says on the mug? I don't know. I am friends with people that are professional translators uh, of Klingon, who actually were WebOS uh, app developers. Oh, okay. Because um, that's how you and I first met, is through uh, WebOS on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, many, well, many years ago. Oh, man. Uh, I still I still miss my prom pre, man. Oh, me me too. I miss um, the touchstone, being able to just charge it. Yeah, I have a. a I'm currently using a Galaxy S7 Edge, mm-hmm. and I have the wireless charging for that. Okay. Uh, but it's still I still liked the touchstone better. I like the magnets in it, where you just put it as long as you got it near, it sucked it in and locked it onto the proper charging spot. Right. The little Samsung pad. There's many times where I'll set it down. And it'll start charging, but if I'm not paying attention, 
I might have gotten it just a little off center, so it's like trickle charging. Uh, if I it just right, it doesn't do the standard fast charge. So I'm always making sure, like I have to actually put the thing on the charger, then I have to you know, scroll down the notification menu and look for it to tell me the estimated time for a recharge. Mm-hmm. I pull it down, and it's at, you know, I put it on the charger at 20%, and then I pull down the thing and it says estimated recharge, you know, fully charged in 12 hours. I'm like, no, 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 that's not <laughs> I have to adjust it. I've got to move it a little bit and then scroll down. I'm like, okay, two hours, 45 minutes. That's more like it. That's that's where it should be. So I don't, you know, the wireless charging is awesome. I love that. But I don't like how they implemented it as, you know, the Touchstone was much better implementation of the technology. And now, so far, it's time in comparison. Right. Now, see, you're not going to like this, but I have an Apple Watch. And the charger for the Apple Watch is very reminiscent to the touchstone. It has a magnet and you it just you put it on, it goes right where it needs to be and charges. That's good. At least they they learned something while being, you know, unique and innovative in making the same product that other companies have hung up. <laughs> uh. Well the <laughs> iOS also has something very similar to uh the to uh, the WebOS cards. I heard about that. Yeah. Um, Android has uh, very similar now too, actually. Um, the way that uh, the recent applications works, like I can, mm-hmm. if I open my phone and uh, hit on the menu button, it opens up all the apps I've had up recently, and it's very card-like. They're, they're like fanned down instead of fanned across, but uh, it's very similar. I can go back to any of the apps I've had open recently, or I can close them down completely from there. Right. Um, so you know, everybody took a little something from that webOS experiment. Um, it's sad that Palm and HP couldn't uh, get it together on their own and, and actually put out a good product, but at least some of the better elements did get adapted into other companies' technologies later on. So right. we get a little taste of it here and there. Indeed. Uh, so, yeah, we, we would definitely get this. Uh, it's very, very cool. If you're a Clean On fan, I, I suggest you get it. Now, if you go on the Star Trek, uh, the official Star Trek page for their uh, synopsis of this product, they have a scanned copy of the recipe cards. So if you don't actually go buy this, you can still get the recipe for alcoholic and non-alcoholic blood wine. Awesome. I'll definitely check that out. It's not, uh, blood wine isn't necessarily my thing, but... It'd still be interesting. I've always liked to try uh, approximations of things, food items and drink items from uh, movies and television shows and books that I've read. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite, I don't know if anybody out there is familiar with the writings of Anne McCaffrey, but when I was growing up, my mom was a huge Anne McCaffrey fan, and uh, so I had read several of the books, including the Dragon Riders of Pern series uh, with her. And uh, there was a beverage that they had, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, it was called Claw. And uh, essentially it was kind of a cinnamon, hot chocolate, coffee type of situation. And uh, somebody put out a recipe for several of the items that were described in the book. And one of them was a recipe for this Claw. And, oh, my goodness, was it tasty. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. I I don't know if you're familiar with... uh, uh the Star Trek cookbook that came out several years ago with Neelix. I've seen a few uh, 
various things like that, but I don't recall one specifically with Neelix as the focus, so that, that may be one that I didn't see. Yeah, I, I own it. It's official merchandise with uh, Neelix on the cover and uh, different recipes, including ones from different uh, crew members like Tuvok. So you have some Vulcan recipes and uh, you have uh, Klingon recipes with, uh, oh man, her name's uh, Taurus uh, there. Alana Torres, and one of the recipes, so I had this book, uh, it was before the 40th anniversary, I had this book, and I was having a 40th anniversary Star Trek uh, anniversary party, so 10 years ago, um, and I decided I was going to make gah, and had a recipe, um, there was a, uh, an Asian food market in the, uh, uh, fairly close by, so I went there after work and and got the ingredients. And man, it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I just I I didn't do it right or or something. It it just it it was pretty bad. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I that's not one of those things that uh, I mean. Granted, I'm sure it had to be some sort of approximation because yeah, it, it was like some kind uh, of Asian noodle. Yeah, uh, I was going to say because the you know gah is supposed to be served uh, live, still squirming on the plate. Uh, so I don't know how they're going to uh, approximate that <laughs> with stuff that you can get at the grocery store. But that's fantastic. Sounds like something you make around Halloween. Yeah, something. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so let's uh, let's get back on topic. I guess, uh, man, so many tangents, but that's okay. <laughs> tangents are good. I like to call them B-plots. <laughs> right. Every good episode of Star Trek has the, the strong A-plot, but there's always a B-plot. There's always something else going on in the background, right? So uh, yeah. these are just our B-plots. True, true that. So Guinan. So let's just give a, a quick rundown of the character. So Guinan was a mysterious bartender who ran 10 forward the lounge aboard the USS Enterprise D. She was well known for her wise counsel, which proved invaluable many times. Guinan was an Elorian, a race of listeners who were scattered by the Borg. Q, however, once suggested that there was far more to her than could be imagined. Which we definitely may have seen in some of the other episodes, little glimpses of more more beneath the surface. Mm, something bubbling there. Guinan was born sometime before Earth's late 19th century on the Elorian homeworld, which we don't know the actual name of of her planet. So another mystery there. As a mature adult, Guinan hid from her father on Earth uh, prior to Earth's official contact with an alien race, posing as a celebrated and obviously wealthy socialite in San Francisco, calling herself Madame Guinan. Guinan has some dealings with Q sometime during the 22nd century, and also other members of the Q continuum, some of whom said were almost respectable. Her exact relationship with Q remains unclear, though it was evidently hostile. Now, I always thought that was weird that Q and her had some kind of dealing. Yeah, they they definitely had a history uh, of which we never learned uh, anything specific. 
but she very specifically uh, disliked Q, which, I um, mean, you know, obviously everybody basically did because he was basically a giant jerk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, as far as her saying that some of uh, the Q continuum were almost respectable, I mean, we, we've seen that in the past. I mean, they even punished Q at one point for being such a jerk. Um, even mm-hmm. though they're powerful, they still, you know, try to, to keep things, um, you know, they usually spend their time in their continuum away from the rest of, uh, you know, what we would consider the known universe. Q's the, the bad child, the one that comes in and is just like, I'm bored with, you know, what's going on in my world, so I'm going to come and just indiscriminately mess with yours. It's, it's the, uh, you know, galactic equivalent of a bad little mean kid coming and stomping on anthills just because he can. Right. Uh, well, I mean, if you were in the Q continuum, would you want to be a scarecrow? <laughs> Now, I always thought the representation of the Q continuum in Star Trek Voyager was, I don't know. There was a lot about Star Trek Voyager I thought kind of missed the mark, and that was one of them. Yeah. It was an attempt to try and visualize something in a way that made it, made their point that it was supposed to be something that humans could not visualize. Mm -hmm. I don't think they succeeded in doing that, because that's, yeah, that's what you get from it is, wait, so they're scared? Wait, what? Right. Uh, yeah, I think they, they were trying to uh, make this this grand visualization, uh, but it, it did miss the mark, as you said. Yeah. Following the assimilation of our home planet by the Borg in the 23rd century, those darn Borg, Guinan became a refugee aboard the SS Lacoule in 2293, she, along with the rest of the ship, subsequently became caught in a nexus, an experience she described as being inside joy, <laughs> along with most of the other Elorian refugees. Uh, Gaiden was traumatized upon being pulled out of the nexus. Yes, and uh, we've seen, obviously, that not all of them took it as well as she did. All of them were, were traumatized by the uh, abrupt it wasn't the nexus that caused their traumatization. It was the removal from said nexus that caused their traumatization. And uh, some handled it better than others. Uh, we could definitely say that Guinan was one that handled it well. And uh, we saw in Star Trek Generations that there was at least one who handled it very, very poorly. Right. Guinan came aboard the Enterprise D in 2365 at Captain Card's personal request. Guinan and Picard shared a long-time relationship, which, according to Guinan, went beyond friendship and beyond family. Beyond. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It, it gets a little, uh, because of the way they, they've gone about it and shown, you know, in Time Zero, obviously, we see that uh, Picard meets Guinan in the 19th century. Um, so Guinan, and you know, Picard won't remember this when he when he meets her for the first time in the future, but she does. Um, but there's also there were also some other uh, continuity errors, I believe, when they described their original meeting, if I'm not mistaken, um, where at one point it was said that they did not meet until she came aboard the Enterprise. But then we know that we know that not to be true because of Time's Arrow, but. We also know that only she would have known that at that point. But I believe there was also some mention of her and him meeting previously to that, um, you know, not inside of mm-hmm. a 
travel situation. <laughs> right. So there's a little confusion there, and I think that can be explained away by the fact that, uh, you know, hey, sometimes they write a story to tell a story, and they don't check every little detail <laughs> to make sure that it fits into the continuity. Right. I mean, t- time travel messes up everything. <laughs> yep. Uh, in Star Trek, I mean... Uh, there's so many things we could talk about uh, regarding time travel and messing up the timeline, but we'll save that for later. Several episodes worth of content there for sure. Yeah. I actually did a panel uh, at uh, Phoenix Comic-Con on uh, time travel in the Star Trek universe, and uh, we talked for an hour and a half and didn't get to to half of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much in there, and... Star Trek Enterprise added time travel when I don't think it needed to, um, but I digress. <laughs> Sometimes uh, time travel can be a fantastic story element when it's used properly. I love time travel stories, mm-hmm. but they can be overused and they can be poorly used. And when it becomes just a, you know, I'm seeing a little bit of this. I don't know if you keep up with any of the uh, the DC television shows. But uh, Flash right now is kind of doing what in the comics they did, the Flashpoint Paradox, um, where Barry Allen is messing with the timeline all over the place. And it's gotten to the point where it's, you know, originally him being able to time travel at all was a very, very special, unique thing that could only happen under the precise right circumstances. And now suddenly it's something he can pretty much just do anytime he wants to. And it really takes a lot of the story out of it. Right. And I think sometimes Star Trek went that route, too, where they just made it too easy to do something that shouldn't be that easy. <laughs> right. Like I said, we, we can do a whole other show with uh, with time travel, especially uh, Endgame uh, is a prime example of a time paradox where things just shouldn't happen. But um, moving back on to Guinan. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't involved in those ones, so we'll talk about those another day. Yeah. As host, as lounge host, Guinan made herself available to anyone who need, in need, especially to the senior sa- staff as an informal counselor. And this is interesting. She was married and divorced 23 times. And as for children, all we know is she had a lot. A lot, Yes. And uh, if you think 23 marriages um, and how many hundreds of years of life, a lot could be a lot. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, we don't know. She never, We were never given a number or even a hint at a number. So it could be, um, it could be tens. It could be hundreds. Um, we just don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's so much we don't know about her species. All we know is that they're from the Delta Quadrant, and they were displaced by the Borg. Yeah. Uh, but somehow yeah, they were... specifically stated about her race is that they are, quote-unquote, a race of listeners. Um, you know, they, they basically take in information, which... Uh, but that doesn't really tell you a whole lot. So right. <laughs> there's still quite a lot of mystery there. Next up we have our list of uh, top Guinan episodes. I don't really know how you want to do this. 
<laughs> wasn't sure if we were doing a ranked list, if it was a top 10 specifically, if it was a top, you know, I just, I, I went, you know, right off the top of my head, there were a few episodes that stood out that I, you know, markedly remember uh, Guinan's influence on that, that obviously jumped to the top of the list. Um, the others were ones that they may not have focused on Guinan very much, but her brief moments within those episodes were extremely memorable. And so those are what made my list. I did not take the time to rank them. Right. There's at least one that I could definitely say way up there. Boom. This is the one that I would call number one. Mm -hmm. But all the rest under that um, are really fairly interchangeable if we're talking about a a structured list. Um, So more I just kind of went with a my favorite Guinan moments from throughout uh, the Next Generation series. And this is by no means an all-inclusive list um, either because, as uh, we pointed out when when you did the show notes, uh, you made a list of all the episodes in which Guinan had appeared. And uh, mm-hmm. it was quite a few. Uh, yeah, uh, quite a few during her time on the show. I think she's she was in uh, seasons two through six. I don't know if there were any season seven episodes with uh, with Guinan. I don't believe there were. Um, I'm not sure if she maybe did she pop up in All Good Things. I don't believe so. Yeah, I don't. It's possible that uh, you know she just wasn't you know the actress just wasn't available at that time. So mm-hmm. all right. So why don't we see here? We want to alternate. Do one from your list, one from my list, and go uh, back. Yeah, sure. Uh, we're from the looks of it, we're going to have some overlaps. There are a couple, yeah. So when we hit one of those, I'll just uh, you know, if you say yours first, then I'll talk about my thoughts on that one as my next one. So, like gotcha. I said, since we're not going in any particular order, that works out better than trying to go back to one we've already talked oh, about. Yeah. yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, so uh, to start off, my list is uh, Q Who. In this episode, we learn about uh, Guinan's past with the Borg, um, and Guinan gives uh, some information about the Borg to uh, Captain Picard. Uh, Now, in this episode, one of the things that struck me um, as interesting is that Guinan, uh, when she sees Q, uh, she kind of goes into this defensive posture and puts up her hands. Does that weird thing with their hands is what I call it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I was waiting for, you know, lightning to jump from her fingertips like Emperor Palpatine there. I was like, <laughs> what's going on here? What what is she doing? <laughs> right. I mean, does that mean that she has some kind of power? Uh, well, that we haven't she seen. She did that. She did put her hands up like that, and it looked like you know she was ready to. I don't know if she was you know in a defensive posture or if that was just a natural reaction. You know, because it's kind of like in a, um, you know, she had the look of a frightened animal. You know, um, right in a corner, and yeah, they're still going to bare their teeth and they're still going to you know draw their claws on you, even though they have no chance of hurting you in any way, shape, or form. It's just their natural defensive posture, and so I think. Was it something like that, where he still had complete and total power over her regardless, but she's still just in that defensive pose because? Or does she have some sort of ability that would at least protect her a little bit from Q's powers? We don't really see because it's dismissed pretty quickly. Um, They never get into it. He doesn't try to do anything to her. She doesn't do anything other than 
you know, tell Picard that this guy's a jerk, get rid of him. <laughs> right. So um, moving on to one on my list that uh, I don't believe is on your list. Um, I'll just jump down a little bit here because the, the first one on my list is on yours, so we'll wait to talk about that. Um, this okay. is one that I actually rewatched uh, earlier today, as a matter of fact, uh, as research. Uh, the Loss. This was the one in which uh, Counselor Troy loses temporarily her empathic abilities. Oh, okay. yeah. Not a particularly strong episode mm-hmm. by itself. The reason I put it on this list, though, is because Guinan's one almost, I think she had two scenes in this. She had one scene, you know, in the middle and then one scene near the end. Um, but basically her only scenes in this, she, it, it's pure Guinan and it's, it's brilliant Guinan. It's her using uh, essentially reverse psychology against Deanna Troy. Um, Troy is feeling sorry for herself. She's mad that she's lost her ability. She's feeling uh, like an amputee who's lost a limb or a sense or something like that. Because you know, she did lose a sense. It's literally like you know you or I losing our sight or our hearing or something. Right. Uh, that's what it's like to her. And she's you know basically going through the uh, the stages of grief in this episode. But at one point she decides that she can't be ship's counselor without the without her powers basically. Um, and so she goes to Picard to to resign as ship counselor, and Picard's like, "No, you know, you'll learn to do your job without it." Every other ship's counselor in the entire Starfleet isn't Betazoid. Get over it. And she's like, "No, nah, I can't do it." And so <laughs> right. she's you know drinking her sorrows away at ten forward, and Guinan's coming over and basically just sounds like, "Yeah, so I hear uh, the counselor position's open. I think I might uh, ask Captain Picard about about doing that." And Troy's basically forced to be like, well, you, you can't, you can't be counselor, you, but you don't understand. It, it takes all this work and stuff. And Guinan's like, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Sure, why right. not? Why can I do that? And it forces Troy to realize that she does have all of these skills that are necessary to do the job that she's been doing for years, even without her empathic abilities. Um, and it's just a, a sneaky way for Guinan to, instead of just telling her like everybody else is. Hey, you got this. She's like, hey, well, maybe you don't got this, and maybe I'll take over. Forcing her to defend herself, to, to come out of her grief for a moment, to defend herself. Um, and it's a turning point for her in the episode. and enables her to, to, to come back and do what she needs to do, uh, which uh, you know, eventually helps save the ship from the weird two-dimensional energy being things that were dragging them into a microfilament or some 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 such nonsense. I'm not quite sure what was <laughs> some techno like I said, babble. <laughs> like I said, the rest of the episode was actually um, you know, the actual peril that the ship was in was the B plot in that one. As far as you know, the the A plot in this episode was uh, Troy and her. Uh, issue here and as we all know i you know don't take this the wrong way because i absolutely love marina Surti, and i had the biggest crush on troy when i was a kid but we all know that the episodes that are troy centered are not the strongest of the series uh, so <laughs> this one is no exception not a not a horrible episode right but it's uh not a particularly strong one but for a guinan moment it's definitely definitely one of the better ones yeah Nice, I, I agree with uh, with you on that one. Um, next from my list, I, I believe this is pronounced the dolphin. That's uh, how I always pronounce it as well. I don't 
believe that the word is ever said in the show. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think you're... That's how I always pronounce it in my mind when I saw it, because it looks like dolphin without the L. So Right. Uh, so in this episode, uh, Guinan and Riker attempted to counsel Wesley Crusher regarding his relationship with uh, Salia. Uh, Riker pretends to flirt with Guinan, and they prove their own advice inadvisable. <laughs> uh, so this kind of an interesting moment where you have the um, Riker and and Guinan flirting with each other. It's it's amazingly awkward <laughs> also being awesome. Right. Uh, it's it's really it is it is a great moment between those two characters. Um it's absolutely hilarious especially when you, you pan to Wesley standing there in the middle going, "What is happening?" <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Uh moving on, let's take a look here. Let me see if I've got any more on my list that aren't on yours. Uh yes, I've got uh, I've got one that's not on your list here. Uh Deja Q mm. was the uh, the Q episode in which uh, Q is stripped of his powers by the Continuum, and he's sent to the Enterprise, uh, very human and very naked, which uh, <laughs> John Delancey, great actor, but did not need to see that. Uh, <laughs> um, and he's, he's sent back as a human. We find out that it was his choice because he considers Picard and the crew of the Enterprise the closest thing he has to friends in the universe, which kind of tells you about his social skills. But uh, right. yeah, so he's, he, he's sent to the Enterprise. He's human. They don't believe him because at the time that he's sent there, there's also a, you know, they're trying to deflect a moon that's coming down out of orbit onto a planet um, that's, that's full of humanoid life. And they can't figure out, nobody can seem to figure out why this moon came out of its orbit in the first place. So the second Q popped up, they assume that Q did it to mess with them. And now he's claiming to not have powers to mess with them. And it takes everybody a long time to believe that Q doesn't have powers, except for Guinan. It takes Guinan about five seconds and one fork to the hand <laughs> right. to determine... <laughs> He's like, she's like, oh, so you're you're human now, okay? She picks up a fork, stabs him in the hand with it, and he's like, ah! And she goes, seems human enough to me, and just yeah. walks away. Now, part of that could have been her, you know. We know that she has some sort of sense outside of our normal abilities to sense, not necessarily an empathic or a telepathic sense, but something. Yeah, you know, we've seen from other episodes that she knows when something's just not quite right, and she was able to identify Q even though he was choosing a form that she probably hadn't seen him in that particular humanoid form before in the, uh, the episode that you had mentioned. So it stands to reason that she can sense when there is a member of the continuum present. Mm -hmm. So the chances are very likely that she realized that he was telling the truth before stabbing him. Right. But still stabbed him anyway. Yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And it's also um, a good data episode. Uh, Deja Q. Yes. Data's basically teaching Q how to be human, which is uh, very interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a moment in that episode when Data points out the irony of the fact that Q has only achieved in disgrace what he has made his life mission and will probably never achieve. And of course, Q's like, what? <laughs> but the rest of us are like, oh man, that's true and that's bull. Right. Some right <laughs> <That's there. bull. laughs> I'm looking at my list here, and I 
think the only one that I we don't duplicate is uh, Night Terrors. So I'm going to skip to that one. Okay. Uh, and we have when REM sleep-deprived crew members begin to draft conspiracy theories about the Enterprise's inability to escape the Tychon's Rift, Ganon is able to defuse the situation thanks to an energy beam rifle she had acquired on Magus 3. This is one I haven't seen in uh, in quite a while. Um, okay. This episode very recently, but I do recall um, you know her coming out with that gun and just starting to, to shoot people, and that was a, well, that was a fun Well, she shoot people. <laughs> she shot into the air. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Still seeing her with that giant rifle. Yeah. Awesome. It's funny because she, she says something along the lines of, that was setting one. Do you want to see setting two? Guidance also she's well known to have some uh, some contraband back behind the bar there. Uh, we uh, we usually assume that it was just uh, various liquors that uh, didn't contain synthahol, but uh, no, looks like she's uh, packing a little bit more punch back there than just a Andorian whiskey or whatever she's got. Yeah, definitely. So I guess we could move on to one that uh, that we both. Oh, actually, I think I've got one more on my list that you don't have on yours. So we'll jump to that one real quick. Okay. Um, this one is uh, another one that I just watched again recently, and it's also one that I go back to on a fairly regular basis. This is this is one of those episodes that I will, if I'm just sitting down, I'm like, hey, you know what, I've got an hour, I want to watch some Star Trek, pick a random episode to watch, what do I want to look at? This is one of the ones that ends up on my top ten list of shows I'm going to watch if I only have time to watch one episode. Um, and that one is I, Borg. This is where we get to meet the Borg uh, classified as three of five when they originally find him. But then upon talking with him and and giving him a taste of the individuality that humanity has, um, they give him a name. He's called Hugh. And uh, originally their plan is to use this Borg to, to plant essentially a computer virus into the Borg collective and completely destroy the Borg at a base level by introducing this basically poisoned uh, Borg back into their collective. And of course, you know, there's some feelings that go back and forth with this. There's, you know, obviously Dr. Crusher wants nothing to do with it because she's like, no, you're talking about genocide. You're talking about wiping an entire race off out of existence. You know, we're not at war with all of them. We're only at war with the ones that are the soldiers and, you know, things like that. And, of course, the argument is made that, no, they are a collective. They are all one. So if we're at war with one of them, we're at war with all of them. And uh, it it all comes down to whether or not that collective is permanent. Is that something that can ever be uh, dissuaded? Mm-hmm. This is a really great Guinan episode because it shows that Guinan isn't always right right off the bat. Nine times out of ten when we see Guinan come in and say something in an episode... She's right. Mm-hmm. Whether or not anybody believes it at first is another question, but she always ends up being right. In this episode, she starts out with, kill it, get rid of it, do what you got to do, destroy them. Mm-hmm. Then she goes and talks to him. And then she goes back to Picard and is like, listen, do what you got to do, but go look him in the eye and talk to him first and tell me if you still want to do it. Right. And that's when you know Picard does that and realizes that he's talking to an individual not a member of the board collective and decides, okay, we can't do this. This is not something that we as 
humanity, people claiming to be the good guys, can't do that. As easy as it may be, as uh, beneficial in the long run to the Federation, as it may be to eliminate the Borg in this way, it's not the Federation way. It's not the human way. And he makes this realization, and it it's really cool to see Guinan kind of push him both ways in this episode. You know, mm-hmm. they see her fencing with Picard at the beginning of the episode, right. and she finds out that uh, that the Borg is on board, and she uses a, a fake. She she pretends to have a cramp, and he puts his guard down to find out if she's okay, and then she disarms him and and takes the point, and says, "See, you felt sorry for me, and I was able to get you because of it." That's what's happening with these Borg right now. You feel sorry for this one, and you're going to let them all. You're going to let them kill us all because you feel sorry for the one. And then she changes her mind and she goes back to him and is like, "Okay, maybe I was wrong." And that's something we don't see from Guinan very often. Is that uh, maybe I was, maybe I was wrong? <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's why I think it's such a great Guinan episode, and that's why I put that one on this list. Nice. I agree with with that one. Now it looks like you do have one more that I don't have. I don't know if you want to jump into that one or if we should just uh, do our duplicates. Um, let me see here. Let me take a quick look at the list and see. Yes, this is another uh, episode. This one is um, it's a fantastic episode. It's an absolutely beautiful episode. It's, uh, it, it's almost a second part, if you will, to one that we're both going to talk about mm-hmm. here in a minute, one that's on both of our lists. It's kind of it's kind of almost a sequel to that, somewhat. Right. And uh, Guinan's part in this is fairly small. Um, I mean, like I said, she's a peripheral character, so none of her parts are huge in in general. But in this one, it is just a kind of a little bit of a throwaway part. But it's such an awesome throwaway part. Uh, It's absolutely fantastic episode, and Guinan just makes it so much more. She serves kind of uh, to serve us up the comedic. Uh, break in the uh, in the episode that's otherwise fairly heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I'm talking about is called the Offspring. This is the one in which Data uh, creates a child. Uh, he creates the Lol Android, and um, you know it, it, we see the range of emotions. This is another episode that we really get to see how great an actor Patrick Stewart is, um, because his range of emotion in this episode and his the way he comes around and then the way he comes from one extreme to the other of like, how dare you make this thing data? And then, you know, 10 minutes later he realizes, no, no, I was wrong. And now it's my job to defend, you know, this admiral's coming in telling him that in telling data that he has to turn over this Android because they don't want the, the only two Noonian type androids, uh, the, the only two soon type androids in existence to be in the same place just in case. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but it's my child, you know, like the heck, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you get to see this. You you really get to see this emotion from Data that even though he claims isn't there, you know is there. Right. And you know, it's it's like it's one of those episodes where we really get the sense that Data has been capable of emotion this entire time, but he just doesn't know it, mm-hmm. and so he can't tap into it. And I believe that even more because of this episode, because you see that with essentially the same programming, you know, he gives Lal his same programming. The only difference is that he gives her, um, you know, more realistic skin and eye color. Like, you know, so basically they just didn't want to have to paint another actress white. 
the entire time. So they're like, eh, well, we'll say he was able to make her skin better. <laughs> so he makes this, this daughter, um, and then he realizes he tries to send her to school because uh, it's suggested that she needs socialization as well as knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, school doesn't work out because essentially she is a very young child in the body of a uh, of an adult or at least a, an adolescent. So the little kids, you know, don't react well to her being there with her because they're scared of her because of how big she is. The big kids don't react well because she's not to their level of social interaction yet. So you know, school doesn't work out. So Data takes her instead to Ten Forward and uh, basically gets her job with Guinan. Hmm. And uh, so their interactions are, are absolutely hilarious, um, especially when Guinan is trying to teach her about interpersonal relationships that they're witnessing in Ten Forward without crossing the line into giving her the talk. <laughs> because right. she, you know, she's asking, you know, at one point, you know, she sees these the, these two crew members flirting with each other, and she's talking to Guy about that, and she's like, oh, they're flirting. And he's like, oh, okay. And she's like, okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, he goes in for the kiss, and she goes, he is biting that female. <laughs> and she has to explain, no, 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 no. They're just, they're just kissing. Um, it's okay. That's how they show affection. And then, of course, they get up and leave to do obvious uh things in their quarters that they're going to do and she wants to know she's like why are they leaving and Guinan's like you're going to have to ask your dad about that one it's it's a great moment especially since right after that Riker walks in and Riker has no idea about what's going on yet he has not been informed of the situation all he sees is this young woman behind the bar so he goes over and does what Riker does and starts to flirt with her um and she just grabs him and plants one on him. <laughs> and then Data walks in at that moment. Of course. Commander, may I ask what your intentions are towards my daughter? Your daughter? <laughs> Look on Riker's face. Uh, absolutely priceless. And, of course, Guyan is just over there laughing it up as well because she thinks it's absolutely hilarious, which it is. Um, it, it's a very light moment in an otherwise very heavy episode because we're, we are dealing again with these... Uh, uh, things of Starfleet not necessarily living up to its uh, mantra of respecting all sentient life. You know, they want to take possession of Law, even though it is it's Data's daughter. And you know, Picard has to stand his ground and say, "If you came in here and demanded that any of my other officers give up their kid, we would have to say no. You, you wouldn't do that. So why are you doing that just because it's an android? You know, we've already established." through previous, you know, previous episodes have already established that they are sentient life, that they are afforded the same rights as anybody else. So he stands his ground and says, nope, not going to do it. Um, and then, of course, we get the, uh, the, the sad end when uh, Law's programming kind of gets uh, overloaded. But it, it, t- it ties back to what I was saying as far as I believe that Data had the capacity for emotion the entire time. He just didn't know how to tap into it or didn't know that he could tap into it. Right. Because we see Law have emotion. And it's not something that Data programmed her to be able to do. He gave her his programming. And yet, somehow, she feels this emotion. They, they blame it on you know, breakdowns. Um, but I don't think that you know, my personal theory is that the breakdowns didn't cause the emotions. The emotions caused the breakdowns. 
because mm. she was unprepared to handle them, and they were so strong, she was scared. She was terrified that she was going to be taken away from her father. Right. And i got to give huge props to the actress that played Lol as well. Uh, she was able to get the little mannerisms that Spiner had had years to perfect as an mm-hmm. android. She right. was able to mimic those very, very well. And at the same time, when the character called to show emotion, she was able to do it so convincingly that, I, I mean, <laughs> seriously, I was like, I'm watching the episode and, uh, you know, <laughs> somebody's working. I, I told him, I'm like, I'm just rewatching an episode of uh, Star Trek Next Generation for some research. And no, you're crying. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's emotional. Yeah. Um, so when you turn around, you know, this, this admiral who's been working to, to take her away, uh, when he sees what's happening, you know, even he softens and is like, you know what? Because he's also a cyberneticist, evidently, mm-hmm. I guess, because why not? Right. Uh, and so he steps in and offers to assist Data to try and fix her. And, you know, when he comes out and he's explaining what had happened, you know, that they were you know, just cascade failure after cascade failure and that Data was trying to fix each new one as it popped up. And then at one point his hands were moving so fast that the Admiral couldn't even see them. And just the raw emotion there. And then it makes it so much even sadder when Data comes out and everybody's like, we're, we're sorry, you know. And he's like, what? I can't feel emotion. I just download your programming. Boom. I'm good. Yeah. Everybody's like, no, dude, you're messed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic episode. It's um, just well-written, well-acted all the way around. And... Uh, uh, Guinan may not have played a huge, huge part in it. She didn't have any of the turning, you know, she, she didn't turn the events one way or the other, but her ability to, to give us a laugh in the middle of that heavy episode is what made it uh, stand out and, and got it on this list for me. It's uh, interesting that you have this on the list. Uh, someone on the in our uh, subspace channels uh, mentioned uh, something from this episode, and then I, I went to uh, research it and found out that it was true but a little bit more in-depth than what the person said. Uh, so I don't know how true this is, but it was on the Memory Alpha page. I guess uh, that scene in 10 Forward, there was a potential to have a homosexual uh, couple in the background kissing, but the powers that be sent someone down to make sure that that didn't happen. Which is sad, in a way, especially considering that Star Trek has always been ahead of the curve on these type of things, usually. I mean, in season one, we saw a guy wearing the little skirt outfit. A little scant. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's like, if they're able to, to do that and just be like, hey, it doesn't matter. Like, here are the uniform choices. Anybody can choose the uniforms. Like, okay, great. And they do, it's one of those things that you, you really do see the signs of the times. There were certain things that were still too touchy for the general public for them to think that they, you know, ultimately they're trying to sell a product. They want right. people to watch the show. And so they're going to make decisions based on what they think is going to be best for the selling of the product. And that isn't always the same thing as what's best to move society forward. It's not always what's best to actually demonstrate in a meaningful way that hey, in the future, maybe we've moved past these things. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a big deal because, like, like, like we said, it was essentially a little throwaway part to the storyline. But uh, Next Generation, I think, had kind of a history of 
skirting around that issue. Um, you know, right. the closest they came was the episode where Riker falls in love with that uh, the the androgynous that that oh, yeah. androgynous right. race. Where they're like, <clears throat> she's not really a girl, but she identifies as a girl in a race of people who don't identify as either. So, it, I think that was the closest at any point that Next Generation really came to addressing any type of uh, issue with the with the uh, trans community or the uh, homosexual community in, in, in any way, really. Um, which is sad, because uh, the original Star Trek was definitely a little bit more advanced when it came to that uh, that type of thing, you know, with with interracial relationships at the time. Right. It would have been nice. It would have been interesting. But at the same time, it may have been a distraction. You know, it may have been one of the things that, oh, all anybody is ever talking about about this episode is these two guys kissing in 10 forward instead of actually, you know, paying attention to the to the lesson that just because life is different than we see it in our mind in or in the mirror, that doesn't mean that it's less life. And so it would have been nice to have that included, but until we invent that time machine and go back and fix it. <laughs> so why don't we talk about the predecessor to this episode, Measure of a Man. It's on both our lists. And it, uh, it, it definitely deserves it. I would have questioned your judgment had this uh, episode not been on your list because it is um, not only a great kind of an episode, but just a, a great episode in general. It's definitely, if I ever had to make a top ten list of Next Generation episodes, this would be on it for sure. In fact, I, I would even say easily top five just without even thinking. Mm. Um, probably top five. Um, after, you know, thinking about it and doing the list, it could even be one of my, it could be my favorite. But I'm not doing that list right now, but this, just a fantastic episode. Right. Um, Guinan is a, is a big part of that because she really um, just it's it's the way in which she handles what she does that makes it so great Mm -hmm. so this episode data is on trial and the trial will determine whether data is an individual or if he is the property of starfleet so guinan points out to picard that an army of data's sentient androids would be akin to uh, slavery yeah, and uh, what's what's really great about it is the way she does it. She does a little bit of that uh, reverse psychology again, like she does with Troy in the episode I talked about, where she she doesn't say it. She lets him get to that conclusion. She's just like, you know, oh, hey, you know, what happens if they, they make a bunch of them? You know, they have an army of disposable people. And he's the one who's like, you're talking about slavery. And she's like, mm, I didn't say that. You <laughs> Right. Um, it's it's so slick, but it, it is that turning point for Picard. It really uh, solidifies. Like he was already, you know, leaning that direction, but he wasn't a hundred percent sure. He was still struggling with his own, uh, you know, prejudices about uh, an android being a living thing at that time too. He hadn't even fully come on board with the the whole data is a person type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. That moment when she kind of like points out, like, here's what we're dealing with. And he's like, holy crap. <laughs> That's when he realizes he's got to do everything in his power to to win this case. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's up against uh, Riker, who, despite not wanting to do it, you know, he's assigned 
to to work on behalf of Starfleet to try and prove that data is nothing more than a machine. And it this is this is one of those rare moments that we actually get to see Jonathan Frakes act his ass off. Um, like I know he's got it in him. He just doesn't use it in every episode because usually they don't give Riker that big of a part to deal with. But yeah. when they do, he proves that he is a fantastic actor, and uh, he nails it in this one. He absolutely nails it because he's he's going in there. He does not want to do it. He believes Data is a person. He he wants he considers Data a friend, and yet he's the one that's tasked to go in there and prove. And he's basically forced to, to do it because they say, well, if you don't do it, then we just have to declare, you know. Yeah, summary judgment, and he's property. Yeah. So, and if you know, same thing. If he throws it, if they think that he's not uh, putting up the best defense possible, then they're going to to be like, okay, well, you're not even trying, so forget you. So he has to try, and he tries hard, and he makes some good points. Um, and it's it's a very very emotional episode. It's uh, it's one of those ones that you can watch over and over again and catch something new. Each time, mm-hmm. some subtlety that you didn't really notice the first time around or the next time around. Um, probably seen this episode a couple dozen times easily and still can go back and watch it and enjoy every second of it. Right. Just an absolutely fantastic episode. And like I said Guinan's part, though small, is integral to the outcome. Right. There's another one that is on uh, both of our lists. I'm going to jump to this one because this is the one on both of our lists that I feel is the most Guinan-heavy episode okay Uh, this is the one that i would say is uh, really the only one where she plays more than a peripheral part she is almost the main character of this episode is this almost a guinan episode it's just another great episode another one of those ones that i will go back to uh anytime and and watch just by itself Uh, it's actually one that uh, you and i did a commentary track on which I, I assume is available still on the uh, the website there? Uh, yes, I hope so. <laughs> it should be, and if it's not, then it should be available on 4 com. if you go and click on Shows and click down to uh, Starfleet Escape Podcast and, and search in there. You should be able to hear Aaron and I talking about this episode and doing like an, an actual commentary track for this episode. Um, and that, of course, is Yesterday's Enterprise. Uh, this is just a phenomenal episode. This is an example of time travel done well. It's a closed-ended time travel story. It doesn't have anybody's ability to just willy-nilly time travel. They have a window. They've got this wormhole, basically, that will allow them to go back right then. And then it's closing, and then it's gone. So they they have to decide right then and there, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. And, and for those who don't know the basic, or, or don't remember, essentially the Enterprise is coming up on a weird energy distortion, and Boom, out pops the Enterprise-C, which was thought to have been lost in a battle uh, over a Klingon uh, space station. And it was really the battle that made the alliance between the Federation and the Klingon Empire possible because it showed that the Federation had gone in and attempted to help this uh, this Klingon outpost or space station and had lost a ship. Mm-hmm. to this and so the Klingons looked at that and say okay you know what you you tried to help us and you lost people you didn't take off you didn't run away you didn't leave us alone so maybe we can talk peace maybe we can make something happen here and so it was a very you know core moment in the history of the Federation so when this ship suddenly gets pulled out of its time 
in its time, it's assumed that they just left. That they just, they're like, ah, peace out, guys. We don't want nothing to do with this. And so instantly the timeline is changed and we see the Enterprise D is now much more militaristic. It is a warship, not an exploration ship. We see Worf is not there because uh, no, no tree with the Klingons. We're not going to have a Klingon Starfleet officer. Instead, Yar's back, because why not? It's a very shocking, stark moment, that, that instant that it changes, and you just the whole tone of everything changes. And you learn that uh, the Federation and the Klingons have been at war for 20-something years. Um, it's not going well for the Federation. They, they are at war, and we are losing. And it all stems back to this moment where the Klingons perceive that the Federation ditched them. Mm-hmm. And so the the episode is about the dilemma of they know if they send this ship back to its time, to this moment, it's going to be destroyed, that these people are going to die. But they also know that by doing so, it's going to restore a better timeline, but they don't know it originally. That's where Guinan comes in, because they don't know. Their timeline has been changed. They know nothing about this previous timeline. It's Guinan who comes in and is like, out of nowhere, like, hey, something's wrong. This ain't right. And that's where we get a little more taste of her abilities or powers, if you will. Like, she is able to sense that something isn't right with the timeline. She can't nail it down exactly. She can't be like, here's exactly what's happening. Like, I can remember both timelines. She just knows that the timeline she's in is not the timeline she's supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. So... Very curious. It, it makes me curious to think uh, what would happen if we ran into Guinan in, in the uh, Abrams verse. Yeah, I have the <laughs> same question. It might be. It might be interesting. I, I'd be curious to see if they could uh, they could do a little something with that. It might be. Might be fun. But um, so we have Guinan, who's the only one who seems to know something's up, and it really hinges on her convincing Picard who it appears in this timeline, while they still have a very good relationship, you know, Picard is still willing to, to talk to her and listen to her, but they don't have the same relationship where he will instantly listen to anything she says. Mm-hmm. He is still extremely skeptical. And it makes sense, too, because you think you, she's essentially coming in and talking crazy. Like, out of nowhere, she comes in, and they're just like, he, she's like, something's wrong. This is wrong. This is bad. And he's like, heck are you talking about? Nothing's changed. A very key moment with her in, in that episode over is when she meets, essentially, Tashi R. To, for her, what's seeming like she has memories of knowing this person, yet she still feels like she doesn't. And that's, that's the thing that, like, really, that's the catalyst for this episode that makes, uh, you know, the decision a little bit more possible, I think, for Picard to be like, okay, I'm going to send Shooter McGavin and the rest of this crew back into this hole and uh, let them let them die so that millions of others uh, can live in this this better uh, alternate timeline right and in this episode it also it sets up future episodes with what will become the alternate tasha's daughter yes um, which is very interesting yeah, it's a very cool way that they use this episode to be able to bring uh, Denise Crosby back in. Because um, I, I like the fact that they gave her a chance, you know, even though she basically bailed on them. She looked at that first season and said, yeah, this isn't going to where I want out. 
and left. And quite honestly, I think it was for the better of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, no, nothing against her personally, but I didn't think her acting was that strong as Yar. And besides her interactions with Data, I didn't think she really added a whole lot to the show. Yeah, uh, there was like, definitely a lot of people on that bridge. Yeah, I, I, I really felt like when they when they brought Worf in as the security guard, as a security officer instead, I thought that was a good choice. I liked it, and um, like I said, the the biggest thing I missed was just her interaction with Data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her death on the show gave us even more. I mean, uh, one of the best moments in Measure of Men wouldn't have been so poignant if mm. Tashi was alive. Right. The fact that he was remembering a fallen comrade, one with whom he was intimate. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was that was a swaying point for the judge. You know, seeing him essentially, you know, showing that he can't have, even though he can't feel the emotion of it, that he can feel that he can have these interpersonal connections that other people have had emotion for him. And that's that I think was a big turning point. So if she stays alive, we don't get that moment or they have to try to figure out something else. Um, you know, it, that is what it is. But I like the fact that, you know, hey, she came back. She's like, hey, yeah, I made a mistake. You know, what are you going to do? But they made the effort to give her a chance to come back for a couple episodes. Right. You know, with yesterday's Enterprise and later on with her playing her own half Russian or Russian. Half <laughs> Russian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, half Romulan uh, daughter there. It's uh, it, it was an interesting way for them to uh, to spin that around. But yeah, this this episode is just absolutely like I said, one of my favorites. One of the ones that I can go back to anytime. It's a great standalone story. You feel like like so many times I've thought like is that a two parter? Mm. It feels it should be a two-parter because it tells so much story, but no, it is just an individual episode and they managed to cram a hell of a lot of story into that hour yeah, or something minutes, whatever it is. Yeah. Definitely one of my favorites as well. All right. So why don't we move on? Let's see here. So one of, one of my favorite episodes of, of Star Trek in, in general of any series is the episode best of both worlds. Uh, two, two-part episode with uh, with the Borg, Federation's most uh, fearsome enemy. Yes. Yeah, just a fantastic set of episodes. Um, a great, great cliffhanger to end one season on and then to bring it, you know, to, to pick it right back up, literally right where it left off with Riker ordering the Enterprise to fire on the Borg ship. Um, just just a phenomenal use of the of the season cliffhanger which became a hallmark you know that was the season that they started that um and they didn't do that at the end of season one going into season two but then they basically did that every season after that (laughs) right well going into the next season yeah uh season two they they couldn't really do it because of the uh, writer's strike and then you have that awful clip show in in the second season uh yes uh but so we know Guinan's home planet was destroyed by the Borg. Uh, so we have uh, Guinan giving uh, advice to Picard about what to do. But then, after Picard's gone, you have her talking to Riker, saying that, you know, what's on that, on that Borg ship isn't Picard anymore, and that she 
has feelings for Picard, but she's willing to let them go. Yeah. This is the, the moment that we hear her, her say that what they have goes beyond French, uh, friendship and mm-hmm. beyond family, that it is something um, even more than that. And yet she's able to to let him go, to, to realize that Locutus is not Picard. Um, and that's something that Riker had been struggling with, and it was affecting his ability to to run the ship and to run an offensive against the Borg because he was still operating under the maybe we can save him. Right. And you know, even though you know, spoiler alert, they they <laughs> do find a way to to save him in the end. It wasn't until he gave up on that thought that he was able to mount any type of effective defense. Um, now, granted, it still wouldn't have done any good. You know, ultimately, the only reason they were able to defeat the Borg was because they attempted to save Picard. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one could say, in that respect, uh, Guinan's advice maybe wasn't the best. <laughs> um, but I, I don't choose to look at it that way. Uh, he was in a spot where he was be- becoming indecisive. He was had been field promoted to captain the ship. He could not afford to be indecisive. He could not afford to be second-guessing his every move, thinking that his friend and his captain was on that other ship. He, c- he couldn't afford to be thinking that way. And so she needed to step in and be like, dude, this is the situation now. It sucks, but here's where we're at. So got to move on. Yep. Do your job, pretty much. <laughs> job, man. <laughs> That chair over there is yours now. Step over the back of it like a crazy person and sit in it. <laughs> Phenomenal episode, both of them. I think the the second part, definitely my favorite of the two, but the first part is is phenomenal mm-hmm. as well. But I think we definitely get the best guy in a moment out of part two if we're breaking it down. Right. All right. Does that cover everything that we had on our list? Did we miss anything? Uh, well, uh, we still have uh, three more, I believe. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Didn't even mention... Yeah, yeah. We got a fun one on here. I hope it's the one I'm thinking of. Um, well, I, the one that I was thinking is uh, the one where we get to see young Guinan. Yes, yes. <laughs> the episode uh, Rascals, where part of the bridge crew is uh, transformed... Uh, was, it, was it a transporter accident? Uh, tra- yeah, they transported <laughs> on and... Uh... It was either a yeah. transport accident or they fixed it via the transporter or both, one or the other. Oh, but the both. Transport Definitely had something both. To do with it. Um, this is just a, a fun episode because we do see a we we see childhood representations of several of the characters: uh, Picard, uh, Rolaren, um, Keiko, and of course Guinan. And uh, all of the rest, of, you know, basically they've, they've been transported into young versions of themselves, body wise. But their minds, they still retain all of their memories and experiences, so they're not, uh, they haven't reverted to childhood. Mm-hmm. They're just in these child's bodies, which the majority of them do not take too well. They don't like it. They're not, they're not about this in any way, shape, or form. Right. And Guinan's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> um, she's, she's jumping on the bed. She's just doing all that, you know, she's just being like, hey. I mean, I, I'm getting a second chance to be a kid. I'm gonna take advantage of it. Yeah, because uh, I mean, how many hundreds of years it's been. Yeah, since he was a kid. Exactly. So, I think that's why she was able to have that attitude, being the the one furthest removed from said childhood. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and but she's the one that's able to kind of 
allow the other ones to deal with their situation. Um, especially Ro, she was very, very depressed. She was not happy about it whatsoever. Right. Uh, and that was because she had a very traumatic childhood. Her childhood was not a happy time. So being uh, reminded of that was not fun for her. She was not about it in any way, shape, or form. Um, and it took Guinan kind of being like, well, here's your chance to, to have some fun as a child. You didn't get to when you were a child. Now's your second chance. Mm-hmm. Why sulk about it? Do something. And then, of course, the episode takes a strange turn where these <laughs> child versions have to save the ship, and Picard has to pretend to be Riker's son, which was fun, but... Uh... <laughs> number one. Uh, he's my number one dad. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. The kid who played young Picard was, was awesome. That was yeah, fantastic. in a previous episode, he played his nephew. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It was a great episode. Uh, it was one of those lighthearted, uh, fun episodes, kind of a break from the seriousness. You get a little bit of a, a chuckle here and there as opposed to just being uh, a very serious episode. But uh, a fun episode, and uh, Guinan you know, really makes it. Young Guinan uh, really sells it, the whole idea. Yeah. And uh, the awkwardness between uh, Chief O'Brien and Young Keiko, that... <laughs> That was brilliant. Keiko coming in being like, I'm still your wife. And he's like, uh, no, you're 10. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not cool. <laughs> I'm not about this. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was uh, worth the price of admission right there. Just that awkwardness. Between, <laughs> uh, the rest of the episode is fantastic also. And, um, definitely a great, uh, great guy in an episode. Right. Now I didn't watch the whole episode, but there was this moment and I, I tweeted this where, Riker is told by uh, the Ferengi that he needs to unlock the computer and teach him how to use it. So he goes, unlocks uh, one of the consoles, and is uh, like speaking gibberish to the Ferengi. And the Ferengi goes, of, of course I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then he goes on, goes on a little bit more, and goes, well, uh, why don't you explain it to me? And as uh, Riker is, you know, doing this techno babble with his other hand, not even looking at it, uh, he presses a few buttons and gives computer access to the, I think it was the school on board the Enterprise D where the kids were, where the reverted characters were, and uh, they were able to save the ship. Uh, Good episode. Uh, very funny, like you said, lighthearted. Uh, I think I'm going to have to rewatch this episode. It's it's one that I didn't rewatch recently for this. It was just uh, just going by memory on that one. So, yeah, I think it'll be on my list to rewatch in the near future as well. And next up, speaking of young Guinan, we have Time's Arrow. Yes. Uh, now, what do you think of this episode in general? Were you a fan of this episode when it came out? I was. Um, again, like I said, I've always been a fan of time travel stories. And when they're done right, this one, a little bit convoluted, but at the same time, I love a good data story, and I love a good time travel story, and being able to, to intertwine and tell me a good data time travel story, uh, you definitely have me hooked. Or, or intertwain. Um, <laughs> oh! Uh, that was... As much as I love Twain, I thought that was... <laughs> I have to count that as the weak point. <laughs> yeah. So the whole, let's shoehorn Mark Twain into this for no reason whatsoever. 
like really <laughs> but um i love the bellhop in the hotel yep. that, uh, <laughs> that data stays in um he was amazing um but yeah the the episode you know they they basically discover that uh there's these aliens that feed on uh human energy you know call it a soul if you want to but just you know they basically drain the energy from a humanoid body and that's what they feed on um, and that they've discovered that if they time travel back to the 19th century, they can get away with killing off, uh, you know, poor people and diseased people and uh, essentially get away with uh, murdering these undesirables as they were uh, and not get caught um, until, of course, uh, data gets inadvertently sucked back with them. And uh, then they have to figure out, well, how do we how do we get data back? And uh, in the meantime, you know, what what's up with these things? What are they doing? And, oh, geez, they're killing these people. we got to stop this. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's an entertaining episode. I think it's one of those fun – it's one of those times where we get to see the ship's crew outside of normal uniforms. You know, we get to see them dress up in this 19th century garb, and it's not a holodeck episode for once. So we right. get to see this without the uh, obligatory holodeck malfunction going on. <laughs> um, it's it's a very cool episode, and I like the way that they sent you know the way data ends up sending or the way Picard I should say ends up sending a message to the future so that they can find out what's going on and, and fix it ultimately leading to uh, data's head being several hundred years older than the rest of his body <laughs> right and why is this a Guinan episode you ask in this episode there's a younger Guinan that when data sees he's like oh you've come back uh, and she has no idea what he's talking about it's like you said what now <laughs> <laughs> and in this episode uh, so this is the moment where picard meets Guinan in the 19th century right now and she said that a bald man once helped her when she was younger in one of the episodes yeah we we got that kind of um now whether or not that was a hint towards this or whether or not that was just something that it was a throwaway line that we can tie back to it. Yeah. Cause she was talking about, uh, how she has a thing for bald men. I've man, I wish I remember what episode that was. Oh, and I can't think of it off the top of my head either, but, yeah. uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you wonder, had they gotten far enough ahead in their, their storyboarding to where they knew that they were going to do this when they wrote that line. And that was, uh, what they were, were saying, um uh it was in Booby Trap. Booby Trap. That okay. she had said to Jordy that she was attracted to bald men and that she was also you know, so that that was the episode um also another uh guy in an episode that didn't quite make this list. Right. For either of us, I think, but uh could easily have. Um yeah, it you gotta wonder if, at that point were they already thinking ahead to this and that's what they you know, they're like, okay, we're going to have her meet him in the past, but he doesn't know it yet because he hasn't reached that point where he went back. So he doesn't know it yet, but she's known the whole time that she met him at some point in the past. Right. So so we find out that the listener is also very good at keeping secrets because she's known the entire time they've been working together that at some point he was going to go back in time and meet her. <laughs> right. Mark Twain in the 19th century. Indeed. So I think that leaves one more, I think, and it just happens to be a movie. 
not an episode. Yeah, I was wondering originally when we uh, when we decided on this, I wasn't sure if I was going to include this because it was a movie or if I was going to stick strictly to the episodes. Um, but I will admit I saw it on your list and I thought, okay, fair game then. Because it <laughs> definitely uh, deserves to be on this list. It um, gives us a little bit more background into uh, her as a person and uh, what she's dealt with in her life uh, coming up to the point of being the bartender for the Enterprise, basically. Mm-hmm. And what it is, Star Trek Generations, I don't know if we said it. So she was in two of the four movies, and this is the one where she gets the most screen time. And in the movie, Star Trek Generations, there's the Enterprise B, it's being christened, and then, oh no, we have to go rescue some ships, and the Enterprise is the only ship available again. So they warp over <laughs> to save uh, these refugees uh, from this energy ribbon that we come to know as the Nexus, and she's saved by the Enterprise B. Flash forward, I don't know, 100, not 100 years, maybe 70 years or so, and we have Dr. Soren trying to enter the Nexus again, and Guinan describes the Nexus to Picard, and she says it's like being inside Joy, and so we see that on the Enterprise D, but then we also see her echo in the Nexus, where she tells Picard that he can, like, jump between different uh, scenes, so to speak, different realities. Yeah, it's, um... It, it's almost what you we, we've seen in, in other movies and genres um, what some people might describe heaven as where you're basically you're living this perfect existence for you uh, but you're not necessarily interacting with anybody else uh, any anywhere else they're in their own version of it but what her echo in the Nexus is able to to provide to Picard is the ability to or the knowledge that you can go into other people's rooms so to speak within the, the within the nexus and that's how she he's able to go and find kirk right and save the day of course i you know generations gets a lot of hate i've seen a lot of people talk bad about star trek generations as a movie and uh-huh. uh i don't get it because i liked generations <laughs> generations um, was the first star trek movie i ever saw in a theater wow i think uh star trek 4 Voyage Home gets that honor for me. Well, you're slightly older than I am. I think uh, when Star Trek Four came out, I was two and a half years old. You know what? <laughs> I don't need <laughs> <mean> your attitude. <laughs> um, when did when? What year was Star Trek Four? Um, geez, now I can't even recall off the top of my head. When, when oh, that... it was uh, eighty. I want to say eighty-six. It might have been eighty-four. It was right around there. Yeah. So. 84 would have put me at uh, five years old, but I still recall uh, seeing it. So I don't recall if I saw it in the theaters or not, but I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I did. Just doing a quick IMDb, it was 86. Okay, four, yeah. So I would have been seven. So yeah, that makes more sense as, uh, to have recollection of seeing it in the theater. But yeah, um, Generations, I felt, was a good solid film. I in you know wasn't the best Star Trek movie ever. But it was far from the worst, and it was, I thought, a very entertaining way to pass the torch. You know, we're, we're moving from 
all the previous movies up to that point had been the original series crew. And now we've got Next Generation actively running at this time. If you're going to make movies, you have to pass it over to these guys. And that's what they did. And I thought it was a, a fun way to do that instead of just jumping, instead of just ignoring all that. No, let's, let's, let's bring them in. Let's do this. We've got the actors. They, they're available. Um, we can make this work. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did a great job of doing that with the small amount of time travel that took place because of the Nexus, because the, the Nexus itself is described as existing outside of time and space. So if you're in the Nexus and you choose to leave, you can literally jump to any time, anywhere that you want to. Um, and that allows them to, to to make their plan and do what they need to do. Yeah. It's uh it's an interesting movie. It was it's obviously not my favorite. Uh the pacing of the movie seemed a little slow for my taste. But I think it was a good effort and like you said, definitely not the worst Star Trek movie. Uh, I think that honor still goes to Star Trek 5. <laughs> yeah. <that one> was <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah, no, it's like I said, it's one of those ones I can go back to and rewatch uh without a problem. I enjoy it. I think the villain is uh, a fairly solid villain, even though he's almost uh, Bond-esque in his uh, pursuits, as opposed to most of the time when we see, uh, you know, we, we perceive villains in the Star Trek universe typically to be entire races or, you know, armies, essentially. We're not looking at one individual person most of the time. Uh, so when they do focus it on just one individual person who is not commanding an army of any type it makes things a little bit more interesting but it also makes it a lot harder for that one actor to pull off uh you know directing all of our attention towards just this one thing instead of like an entire like oh we're not we're not dealing with all the romulans or all the klingons we're dealing with uh this one guy who happens to have some help from a couple of uh people but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is it's just one guy with his one singular purpose. And it just so happens that that purpose is going to exterminate a whole lot of life in the process. So we've got to stop him. Mm-hmm. I think uh, McDonald did a fantastic job with the role. I think he pulled off just the right amount of crazy without dipping over into gratuitously crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's easy for a character who's given a, a, a crazy person role to just go all out and just give it the full, like, <laughs> and I don't feel he did that. I felt he kept it restrained enough to be believable when they didn't know that he was the bad guy. You know, he, he was wild. He was a little unpredictable, but they still, you know, they didn't peg him as being nuttier than a squirrel turd. Turns out he indeed is, but he was able to, to walk that line to convince people when he needed to. So I, I thought the actor did a fantastic job. I, but, uh, I agree. Bringing it back to, to Guinan in this movie, um, she definitely plays an integral part because, like you said, she is the one that enables Picard to to leave the Nexus voluntarily, leave his version of the Nexus voluntarily, to go find Kirk in his version of the Nexus and convince him to leave as well. As we're made to to know in the film, it's very, very difficult to make the choice to leave the Nexus because it is like being wrapped up in joy, as Guinan describes it. Everything is happy there. 
you never feel sadness, you never feel pain, you never feel anger. You are content and happy and joyful. And the only way to leave is to choose to leave. Right. Or to be, you know, in the case of uh, Soren and Guinan in the first place, they were pulled out before they were fully integrated into it. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been part of the issue as well with the psychological damage was the fact that they weren't fully integrated into it before they were pulled out. So they didn't get a chance to, to reconcile. Whereas, you know, cause that's one thing I've heard as a complaint. It's like, Oh, well, you know, you see Guinan and especially Soren, they get so fit, so emotionally damaged because they had to leave the Nexus, but Picard and, and Kirk can just leave and doesn't have any effect on them whatsoever. It's like, no, it definitely does have an effect on them. I mean, you see Picard uh, at the end, you know, still longing for that family that he had in the Nexus that he doesn't have in real life. Right. So it did have an effect on him, first of all. And second of all, he wasn't ripped out of the Nexus against his will while still being integrated into it. He was there, he was in it, and then he chose to leave. So I think it's a different situation um, and so I don't have a problem with that aspect of it at all. Like some people I've, I've heard, that's one of the complaints I've heard about the movie is that they felt that that wasn't handled well, but I thought it was fine. I see. Well, that was a lot. But Guinan had in, in the 176 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, she had, I don't know, maybe 20 or so episodes, but she definitely had an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she's one of those characters that you're, you're happy when you see her on screen. She yeah. comes on screen, you're like, "Oh, hey, we're gonna get some. Uh, we're gonna get some wisdom, or maybe we're gonna get some humor." You know, Guinan. I, I didn't put it on this list because it was just such a brief moment, and it didn't really do much for the rest of the episode. But Guinan is the one who introduced Worf to Prune Juice. Oh, right. uh, so well, that was that was yesterday's Enterprise. That, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, never mind. So we did mention that. We just didn't mention that part of it. But uh, right. yeah. So you know, Guinan, she has impact throughout. Yeah. You know, we we see her impact much later on because we see Worf still drinking prune juice <laughs> on Space Nine. So um, yeah, she's she's definitely an impactful character. I think they did well to to use her as sparingly as they did. Mm-hmm. Because I think we would have gotten sick of her had they tried to use her too much. It, she would have had the Wesley effect. If we uh, if it, if it had continued too much, you know, by the end of the first season, everybody was sick and tired of Wesley, and it wasn't any fault of Will Wheaton. It was the fact that they decided to throw this child character that saves the day every time. It's like, no, just don't. <laughs> right. Once is okay, twice maybe in the course of a full season, but how many times did Wesley save the day in season one? Like, come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I I definitely understand the people who were upset with uh, with Wesley's character. I will never understand the ones who actually took it out on Will Wheaton specifically, like it was his fault. But yeah. I understand the hatred of the character. I see. Well, why don't we move on and let me open up hailing frequencies. And we'll go to the subspace channels. So this week our question is, what is your favorite Guinan moment and why? So let me just read this little spiel here. Uh, here are a few of the answers that we have selected from the various social media networks we post this question to. 
-hmm. Thanks to everyone who answered. And if we did not get to read your answer this time, try again on our next Subspace Channels question. So, let's start on Facebook. And, oh, uh, before I continue, I normally post this question to a Facebook group uh, called Star Trek Fans. And as of yesterday, maybe a day before that, but after I uh, tried to submit the question, the Facebook group changed its name, and it became abundantly clear uh, that the Facebook group was hacked. Oh, no. Uh, so, actually, when I last checked, all the posts uh, that's ever been there were deleted. Oh, and, uh, yeah, so that... That kind of stinks. But there are other other avenues that we can go to. Uh, so uh, we'll do that. And uh, hopefully the people behind that hacking will be reprimanded. And uh, the group will be restored. Uh, but, yeah, we can never have nice things. Our first answer from Facebook. We have Eric Larson Kim Brow Jr., who says, this may sound harsh, but I always thought she was a detriment to the show rather than a bonus. The magic alien quota got filled with Q after all. Had it been written in such a way that perhaps we learned more about her reason for being there, I would have enjoyed her character more. That said, think the best G moment had to be yesterday's Enterprise, it was a very well-presented story and gave her a reason to be there that wasn't more than background. Hell, made her the star for all intents and purposes, and it was an extremely compelling story to boot. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that last part. Uh, as we stated um, with yesterday's Enterprise, it really was kind of a, a Guinan story. Mm -hmm. um, I can't necessarily agree with the rest of the part because of how they use her. I mean, it's 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 almost as if you're contradicting yourself a little bit because you're saying, oh, they used her too much because they didn't use her enough. Like, wait, what? Um, right. The fact that she was sparingly used is what made her an effective character. If she was uh, yesterday's Enterprise guy and all the time, we would have gotten tired of her like we did with Wesley in season one. So I think that... Well, I would have loved to to get more of her backstory. As he said, you know, if we'd have gotten a little bit more of that backstory, that might have been good as well. But for the peripheral character that she was, I'm okay with the amount of use she got and how they used her. So, um, hey, thanks so much for the answer. Really appreciate it. Um, I do have to disagree with part of it, but for the most part, I do agree with you. Next, we have David Carlson, who says... That whole scene with her and Riker teaching Wesley how to sweet-talk the ladies. Really fun back and forth between them. It really was. That, yeah, we, we discussed that. Yeah, <laughs> them just flirting with each other for Wesley's benefit originally and then completely forgetting that Wesley was even in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even when he was like, I, I think I get She's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut up, kid. Yeah. Thank you, David. Next, we have Anthony Lamberti, uh, who says... Best of Both Worlds, Part 1 and 2. She was great. The conversation she had with Riker sticks out the most when she talked about how close her and Picard are, and she's willing to let him go. That part always 
got me on edge. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, as we as we stated when we talked about that episode, you know, that moment especially was the moment that we really saw that uh, she had this this deep emotional connection, but she still was there for the rest of the crew as well, especially Riker in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, thank you, Anthony. Uh, we got a response. Uh, I had posted the question also, and uh, I got a response from a friend of mine, uh, Zeph uh, Hyde. The, he's actually the director of the charity I work with, Comicare. Um, if you do have any, especially if you live anywhere near the uh, Phoenix metro area, if you have any comic books that you are collecting dust in your basement or something like that and you want to find a good home for them, check out Comicare.org. We will accept those donations and get them into the hands of kids in the hospital who could really, really, really enjoy them. So. I definitely highly recommend that. Um, But uh, Zeph said, my favorite is easy and probably cliche. It's the one where she surprises everyone by walking into the bridge to tell them everything is wrong. You know the one. (laughs) At first I thought maybe he was making a joke, like he was uh, saying, you know, hey, my favorite episode of Gilligan's Island is that one where they almost get off the island and then Gilligan messes it up. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I was like, that didn't really happen all that much. But uh, I'm pretty sure he was talking about yesterday's Enterprise. Because that was... Where he like she like came up onto the bridge and everybody was like, "The heck are you doing here?" Because <laughs> it was a more militaristic enterprise where, uh-huh. you know, normal enterprise, Guyman being on the bridge not a big deal. She, oh, oh yeah, you need to come talk to Picard. Okay, no problem. We know your friends. Uh, that version of the enterprise, everybody was like, "The heck, mm-hmm. what's the deal?" So yeah, uh, thank you for that uh, answer, and definitely check out Comic Care. Next, we are going to Google+, Plus, where we have Jay Sanders, who says, That was setting one. Anyone want to see setting two? And uh, that is referring to the episode where she uh, shoots into the ceiling, Night Terrors. Yep, that was definitely a, a good one, as we discussed. Yeah. Um, fun to see what she's hiding behind that bar of hers. <laughs> yeah, we see one show with her. And she's doing target practice with Worf. And she she's better than him. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's had a lot of years of practice, so... Um, That's true. I guess Worf can console himself with that, maybe. Indeed. Uh, next, we have Star Sword C, uh, <laughs> who says, The bit in Offspring where Whoopi Goldberg insisted on changing the script from man and woman to two people in regards to Lal observing two crew members hooking up. Yeah, we briefly mentioned that, that uh, there was some pressure to try and make that into a same-sex couple, which I guess the studio exec said, no, we're terrified of that, (laughs) because people, I guess, I don't know. But uh, I'm glad she stood her ground on that and was able to to get that, at least that slight little bit of uh, dialogue in to, to open it up a little bit. Because we are supposed to be looking at a future where this stuff isn't supposed to matter anymore. The future that we want to have where this stuff doesn't matter anymore. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that if she was the one responsible for, for making that line that way, then, hey, definitely kudos to her. Yes, definitely. Uh, and thank you, Star Sword C, for your response. Next we have, I'm going to butcher your name most likely, Chris Hubsich? Hybsk? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we'll we'll call you Chris. Chris H. H. 
sorry. Uh, your response, in the measure of a man, uh, consider that in the history of many worlds, there have been disposable creatures. They do the dirty work. They do the work no one else wants to do because it's too difficult or too hazardous. In an army of datas, all disposable, you don't have to think about their welfare. You don't have to think about how they feel. Whole generations of disposable people. But in fact, each and every line of Guinan is awesome. Definitely sounds like we've got a fan uh, right. of Guinan and Chris here. But uh, yeah, that is the, that's the line that she delivers that Picard looks over and is like, you're talking about slavery. And she's like, mm-hmm, am I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the moment that she like, gently leads him down the path to see what it is they're really talking about. And so she's so core to that. And uh, being a huge Data fan myself, mm-hmm. I always loved Guinan for that episode. Because without her guidance, without her helping Picard get down that path, I don't think you know, things, things could have gone differently in that trial without Picard getting to that point of, of equating those things. So thank you, Chris. Uh, awesome episode that both Eric and I enjoy, and I think most uh, Star Trek fans enjoy. And uh, finally on Google+, Plus, we have Tornado Geek Alaska, who says any moment involving her and Q. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely agree there. Like we said, we get to see her do that weird hand thing. Which uh-huh. I would still love to know more about. I still want to know if there's more to that. Is that does she have some sort of power, or is that just the uh, you know defensive animal posturing type of thing? Um, but like I said, her stabbing him in the hand with a fork when she knows he's human, like love it. So uh, yeah, thank you, Tornado Geek, for your answer. And this week we also have an email response. From a good friend of the show, uh, he's been on a couple of times, Clive Burrell. Check out his podcast, uh, Some Kind of Star Trek, and uh, his uh, his website. Uh, a lot of reviews over there. Uh, good guy. Uh, check it out. His response, gotta be her first confrontation with Q in Q Who. This is one of those rare episodes, like yesterday's Enterprise and Time's Era, where Guinan took more of a central role. Her sparring with Delancey is awesome and rivals some of the instances of Q versus Picard for its electricity. Great scenes, as it also reveals there might be more to Guinan than we have been told so far. I probably place her conversation with Picard about the timeline in yesterday's Enterprise as a close second, again because of the calmness she portrays while Stuart gets all riled up. Everything that he points out, uh, we've talked about fantastic moments for a fantastic character, and uh, I think, like we said, I think really an example of a character used well to its maximum potential without being overdone. So... We really got to to see a, see a lot of that. Thank you, Clive, for your response. And now, finally, once again, it's time to ask: Do you know what puts my quantum state into flux? Uh, so this week, uh, since we're talking about Guinan, why wasn't Guinan on the Enterprise E during the incident with the Borg? According to Memory Alpha, Ronald D. Moore said. 
We decided fairly early on that Guinan wouldn't be in the movie because she wasn't part of our storyline and we didn't want to shoehorn the character in. And that's from an AOL chat in 1997. Hmm. Does this mean that the Enterprise D did not have civilian personnel or that we just didn't see her during the events of the movie? I would imagine the former since there does not appear to be any families aboard and Picard would have more likely than not have spoken to Guinan at some point during the film. I believe that Lily Sloan took on some of the qualities of Guinan, convincing him he should self-destruct the ship instead of seeking revenge. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I wonder if it wasn't, uh, you know, a contract thing too, you know, uh, Whoopi Goldberg may just not have been available or not available for a price they were willing to pay for a character that they hadn't actually written into the storyline. Mm-hmm. But it is a noticeable absence, especially when you're dealing with the Borg, right? Uh, because we know that you know she's the the one that's had the most dealing with the Borg, even amongst the, this crew that has dealt with the Borg so much. She had dealt with them even before that. So, mm-hmm. if she was there, then yes, Picard would have been speaking with her at some point. So you know, I just have to assume that either she was. On vacation, <laughs> uh-huh. maybe she had been reassigned someplace else. Maybe she had uh, something to do somewhere. Maybe she was uh, just busy. Yeah. Um, uh, she isn't a member of Starfleet, right? So it's it's hard to imagine her being on the Enterprise E with no civilians on board uh, that we saw anyway. But the Enterprise in yesterday's Enterprise didn't have any families aboard either. And she was a civilian on board. Yeah. It Um, was a different timeline, but... Yeah, that's true. It also... It's... If you start picking apart yesterday's Enterprise too much, things... The the seams do start to come unglued. (laughs) Because Uh you do essentially have this same... You know, the ship itself, while being more militaristic on the inside, was identical on the outside. I don't think that would have been the case if it had been engineered from 20 years of war rather than 20 years of exploration. So, so, so you think yeah. it would look more like uh, the Dreadnought Enterprise from All Good Things? Maybe yes. without the third in the cell, but with more firepower. Yeah, definitely more firepower, definitely more... Um, and they did show that it had more firepower uh, than than the, the Enterprise D in the standard timeline did, but... Just the the look and the shape of the ship. I mean, that ship was designed to carry families and people. That's that's why it was so big. That's why that saucer section was so massive compared to the the drive section of the ship. It was for crew quarters. That's that's why it's that big. Um, it wouldn't need to be that big if it was strictly a warship. They would have made. I think the saucer section um, would have been much more compact. Would have been just enough room for weapons and defensive. Uh, arrangements, uh, arrangements and things like that, but it wouldn't have been this gigantic saucer capable of carrying all these thousands of people because they wouldn't need that. Right, and oh. would they even have had a saucer section? Maybe they would have just had the star drive section. Right. Yeah, ex- exactly. So these type of things, you know, when you start to pick it apart, things come unraveled a little bit, but that's okay because it's still a fun episode, and anytime you're dealing with time travel, you could potentially pick holes in storylines all over the place. Uh, anything, you can really do that too. Um, but, yeah, it, it is uh, an interesting question as to why, if there's no civilians on the ship whatsoever, what's Guinan doing there? 
how is Guinan still part of this? Mm-hmm. And that in that timeline, would she have, because that timeline wouldn't have progressed to time zero. So she wouldn't have the uh, hundreds of years old knowledge of Picard, technically. So that, that's another question that could be raised about that episode is like, um, you know, we assume that that's the reason she's on the Enterprise in the normal timeline is because she has this connection with them and they are friends. And um, But in this alternate timeline, what was she doing there? Did she serve some other purpose? Um, but she was necessary to the story because without her... Uh, ability to sense that because what else are they going to do are they going to just suddenly imbue one of the other characters with some sort of temporal sense that nobody else has yeah no that that would have been just as much of a cop-out as putting Guinan on the ship so hey let's stick with the characters we've got use the uh ambiguity of her race uh at this time you know we we still had so i mean and still even there's so much ambiguity about what her race is capable of that, hey, why not? It makes it, it makes more sense than, you know, suddenly saying that Troy's empathic ability enables her to sense across timelines when something's wrong. You know, and I don't think Troy was so, even on the ship. No, I don't believe so. Because uh, why would you need a counselor on a warship, right? Well, one could argue that you need more than one counselor <laughs> well, on a ship, but uh, would you actually have them is the question. <laughs> right. Do you need them, or what would you have them? So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of question marks there. Honestly, you know, in reality, it probably comes down to availability and price of the actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if she's asking for too much for a small part and they want to save that money, then guess what? They write her out. If she's not available for whatever reason, then they write her out. Um, and it's our job as fans to fill in the blanks and uh, create that headcanon to to explain it away. I'm going to go, I, I think your theory works just as well as any others, as far as there not being any civilians on the E. Therefore, no Guinan. Well, that pretty much brings our talk about Guinan to a close. I want to thank you, Eric, for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I've been uh, chomping at the bit to get another uh, podcast recorded. I, I've been... Uh, dry for a little while with this whole i recently moved from arizona to ohio and uh it very much disrupted my ability to get some podcasts recorded and, and out there so yeah how are you uh taking to the time change uh it's interesting you know living in arizona all my life we never had to change times for daylight savings this time around you know time changed obviously the majority of my stuff changed automatically because you know my computer's changed automatically. My phone changed automatically. Right. I did have to change the clock on my microwave and the clock in my car. <laughs> so yeah. uh, luckily it was on a, it happened on a Sunday that I didn't work because I do work some Sundays, but not all. Okay. So it happened on a Sunday that I didn't work, so it did not affect my sleep schedule or anything like that. But uh, it's going to be interesting when it changes back. <laughs> That's yeah. when it's really going to, because then I'm losing that time instead of gaining it, and it's going to... It's going to be weird. Um, it has been kind of nice, though, because talking to people back in Arizona, they're no longer, you know, normal, you know, during daylight savings, they're three hours behind because they don't change. They're on Pacific time during that time. Mm-hmm. Now they're back on the mountain time, so they're only two hours behind. Oh, okay. Three hours behind. So a little bit closer in time range as far as getting in contact with those guys and being able to, to chat with them. It's not as huge a time difference. So there's one bright side. 
Yeah, I guess oh, just be glad you're not on Mars. <laughs> the communication gap would be dramatic. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So, Eric, uh, if we wanted to find you on the internet, uh, how would we go about doing that? Huh? Well, I am on the Twitters. I'm not exceptionally active, but if you tweet at me, I will reply to you. Uh, it's at Eric J. Dewey. And also, uh, definitely get in contact with me via our Facebook pages for the, the network itself, uh, 4-Eyed Radio Network. If you go to facebook.com slash 4-Eyed Radio Network, you'll find us. And uh, I uh, administrate that page, so any messages that it receives, I will see. All right. And if you want to find me, you can do a Google search for at Nova Charter, and you'll most likely find my Twitter page and uh, Instagram. Uh, so you can follow me there. And yeah, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Again, Eric, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. And we will uh, see you all next time on the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfxkpod.com. Hey everybody, Eric here to tell you about a special promotion my charity Comicare is running. We are up for a challenge and we need your support. At Comicare, we spend all year traveling to hospitals and collecting smiles from children and their families and leave comic books behind to keep the smiles going. Well, now we want to see your smiles, and we want to post them on our pages, too. This July 20th through 23rd, we will bring Arizona Tony Stark to the San Diego International Comic Con and take on one of our biggest challenges yet. We will have four days to collect as many pictures as we can of smiling supporters with Tony. How many can we collect? A hundred? Three hundred? Five hundred? We'll run for the 1,000 mark, but you never know. Will you pledge a couple of pennies for each photo we collect? Just think, if you pledge just two cents per picture and we collect a hundred photos, your donation will be two dollars. If we collect a thousand, twenty dollars. Either way, a small price to pay to be part of our continuing mission. We appreciate all your support in the past and we know you will enjoy being a part of this adventure. So please visit comicare.org slash 1000smiles. That's C-O-M-I-C-A-R-E dot org slash 1000smiles. Visit our page, click that pledge button, and throw us a couple of cents per smile. You're free to put a cap on your donation so it doesn't get out of hand just in case Tony gets crazy and gets 10,000 smiles. You don't have to worry about getting nuts. Just visit our page at comicare.org slash 1000smiles and make your pledge today.